Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. From the book of James, I have three of them prepared. I don't know how many I'll have in the total series. Won't be as long as the one on Hebrews. Just be doing them, I think, on Sunday nights for the next uh, few Sundays. This evening, I want us to take the first four verses of this book. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We'll stop there this evening. Next Sunday night, I want to deal with verses 5 through 7, I believe it is, on uh, a somewhat uh, similar subject, but in some portions different. Tonight, I want us to talk about the testing of our faith, putting our faith to the test, or rather, the Lord putting our faith to the test. The author of this book, as I've already stated, is James, who was the brother of Jesus. But I want you to notice in this first verse that he makes no identification of himself as the brother of Jesus. This is the fellow who did not believe until after the resurrection. But he finally became the pastor of the Jerusalem church. But he identifies himself as a servant of God and notice, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. If uh, I had been this James, and I had been writing this book, I might have been tempted to say, James, the brother of Jesus, wanting myself identified with, with Christ as his brother, as though it might give me some, uh, some credibility. But uh, he resisted that temptation. And uh, let me turn that around. You probably don't need it. He resisted that temptation and properly identified himself as being a servant, not only of God, but a servant of this person who was his brother, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's, that's humility. No claim to any kind of credibility at all as far as his relationship to Jesus is concerned. Who is Jesus to us? To, to, uh, to James, Jesus was his brother upon earth but made no claim of that. We might say that Jesus is our Savior and we certainly would be right. But sometimes, but not as often as we ought, we say Jesus is our Lord. But most of us resist that statement and will not use it. We'll claim his saviorship, but we shy away from his lordship because we know that the word Lord carries the idea of our being a slave. And most of us are so independent that we're bound and determined that we're not going to be a slave to anybody, not even God himself. 
We just won't do that. But the proper relationship of us to Jesus ought to be in the relationship of a master and his slave. Of course, we being the slave. A slave is one who does the bidding of his master without question. If the master says, do it, the slave does it. And it is not the responsibility of the slave to try to inquire as to why the master wants it done, but only to do it according to the instructions that the master has given. The slave does not inquire if it's reasonable, if it ought to be done, or under what circumstances it ought to be done, but if the orders are given, the slave then is expected to do it. If we really were a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ and he were our master, there probably would, some of us would have one of two things done with us. He'd sell us because we're not worth much as a slave, or he'd put us to death because we're not worth anything as a slave. The Lord doesn't treat us in those terms, but James identifies himself as being in that category as of a slave. And I think we need to stop in our busy lives and acknowledge that we're not in control of things. It is the Lord who is in control and we're here to do his bidding. That's our place. That's our responsibility and really nothing more. If we don't understand it, so what? The Lord does. He has it all planned out and knows what is to be done and when it's to be done. All our job is to just go ahead and do it. James was one who did not even believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. But when he finally did believe, then he changed his relationship and no longer identified himself as a brother to Jesus, but identified himself as a servant. Ever wonder why James was so long in believing? He grew up with Jesus. You know, one of the, the more difficult things that we have to do as a Christian, is to witness to our family. Even Jesus could not witness to his brother and win him. Did you ever think of that? Then wonder why we have such a difficult time convincing our brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and, and cousins and uncles and all the other people about us that they ought to be Christian. We have an extremely difficult time in that category. And we recognize that Jesus had as difficult a time. He could not fathom the idea that in that person that he lived with and ate with and played with that there could be something divine. He couldn't accept that. The same thing as our families oft times cannot accept in us that there is something different about us. That we've changed. I hope we have changed and portray a different picture to our family. And if we have done that, then they're going to see that there's something different and they can't understand it, they cannot comprehend it, they can't begin to fathom what possibly could have happened to me or to you that makes us different than we used to be. It's there, it has taken place, and our efforts to try to explain that to the people that we grew up with is an extremely difficult task and many times we will not be successful 
And if there is any comfort in that, we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus himself couldn't convert his own brother until after the resurrection. And then James saw in Christ the, the reality as to who he was. So this individual, James, says to us in the second verse, a very, very strange verse in some ways and very difficult, he said, My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now this verse we're going to have to, to sort of dissect a little bit and see what it really says. First of all, he identifies the people to whom he's talking as his brethren. We call ourselves brothers and sisters and that's property. So proper, so he's talking to us. He says, consider it joy. Be glad when you fall into diverse temptations. Divers means diverse, different, many. Be glad when you fall into many temptations. First of all, that doesn't sound quite right. Something seems to be wrong with using the word temptation. I'm not sure that uh, I want to be happy when I'm tempted. Matter of fact, when I'm tempted, it makes me unhappy after it's over at least. So something seems wrong. Now, I want to explain what the problem is. We've got to identify the word temptation in verse 2 with the word temptation over in verse 13. Go over there. Because it seems to say something entirely different in verse 2. And the same person is still speaking. He says in verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Now how do we reconcile this? He says in verse 13 that God does not tempt anybody. God doesn't do this. When you are tempted, he says in verse 14, you are tempted when you are drawn away from the right, right way of living, when you're drawn away with your own lust. Then he says back in verse 2, be glad when you fall into many temptations. Doesn't jive, does it? All right, we've got to go back to the Greek to separate it. He's saying in verse 2, Be glad when you are tested. He's saying in verse 13, God does not tempt. He's not saying there, God does not test. He's using tempt in verse 13. The proper word to be translated, and you ought to write it there in your Bible if you need, need that information, is be glad when you fall into many testings. We'll deal with the temptation a little bit later. In one of the translations, I've forgotten now which one I got it from, but the verse 2 says, consider it pure joy when you face difficult trials. Now, I don't really like trials. I don't like to always be put to the test 
But I know that if I'm going to be successful, that's one way of getting there. Matter of fact, it's probably the only way. Let's take, for example, an athlete who goes out and practices until he drops in his tracks. He exerts so much energy that he is exhausted. Those weightlifters that get under those weights and strain and push and pull to get those bars up over their head. Why would anybody do that? Christmas time I tried it. I got down on my back and Sherman's weightlifting outfit up at his house and, and uh, tried to, I couldn't push with about 100 pounds up if I got that much. There's a few people in here who couldn't push that much. But then there's those big strapping guys who can just lift those weights up in the air. But they will work and work and strive. Why do that? Or that runner who will run himself to exhaustion. Why would he do it? A mountain climber who will climb a mountain. Why does he do it? And he says, just because it's there. The answer that most people will give is the thrill of achievement. And you and I, at times, will take on the task of doing something that we don't know if we can do just to test ourselves to see if we've got the capability of accomplishing it. And when we have achieved it, when we built something, when we made something, when you women sewed your first dress, you probably sweat tears over getting all those stitches and you had to tear the things out and do it over. But when you finally got it done, the thrill was worth all of that struggle. And so James is saying, as a Christian brother, be glad when you're put to the test because the thrill of achievement is going to be worth the effort. The hours of the agony and training will be worth it because there will be joys in success. Now most of us still have our baby fat. We're going to lay on that thing and put those our hands on those bars and start lifting it up, we don't get too far. Because we haven't developed. We haven't trained. A person who attempts to jog won't run down the highway very far until he's exhausted because he hasn't tested himself over and over and over again until his body is built up. The same thing is true of the Christian life. And the reason many of us fall short time after time after time is that we have quit before we've gotten to the place of putting ourselves really to the test to see what we're made of. And so, James is saying you ought to be happy when you are put to the test. And he doesn't use if, he uses the word when, 
because God is going to find out what we're made of. He's going to see how far we're willing to go, what our strengths are and where we're weak. Now, the scripture says that God will not test us beyond our capability to withstand. He'll not break us. One of the delicate points in breaking a horse, quote, breaking a horse, is that you don't break him. You don't break his spirit if you want to have a good horse yet. You stop short of that point in which he becomes so absolutely obedient that he has no personality left. I used to train horses a little bit. You didn't know that, did you, Judy? I'm a horse trainer. They always told me that a, that, that a preacher could never be a horse trader. I used to be a horse trader. Tra bought and sold horses. That's why, yeah, that's why, yeah, I keep you in line. And I never did learn how to get that horse quite right. But I learned some things in that process. That to have a good animal, there is a point at which you stop. And God knows that point at which we would break. God is not going to put more upon us than we can bear, but be absolutely sure that God is going to try us to see if we're going to stand up for him, for his word. So he says, know this, verse 3, that the trying of your faith works patience. Now, here's the results. When he puts us to the test, and we're successful in exerting our faith, using it, and coming out on top, then we have stronger faith. Our faith will work patience. Our faith will produce patience. If we have faith in God, why is there any reason to be impatient? Because he will do his thing in his good time, not on our time schedule. If I believe in God, I don't need to be concerned about timetables. Putting our faith to the test will produce patience in us. And patience will produce endurance. And Paul said, I can endure all things through Christ that strengthens me. And the key to that is strengthens me. I can endure whatever God provides me in life because I receive my strength from God. That's what Paul says. Now, we're not going to endure, we're not going to succeed if our success is based upon what capabilities we have. We're going to fall short. When we fail the test, it's because we have not exerted ourselves and worked at it. Can you imagine my going to a weightlifting contest with Bob Mullen. He's going to do. He's in a weightlifting contest 
uh, right away, that big, huge, husky guy, and I'm going to go up there, and he's going to lift weights that I can't even possibly begin to get up off the ground, even with a crowbar. Because he has put himself to it, and I haven't. Can you see the parallel? The person that is the, the, the successful Christian is the one who keeps on working at his faith and builds it up and becomes strong and then he's capable of it. But we fail because we don't do it in the strength of the Lord. You see, we have more strength than, we, than in ourselves. We have it in the Lord. Or we fail to take advantage of the opportunities that are provided for us. When I was in school, every once in a while, a teacher would give us the opportunity of taking an open book test, which meant you take this test and you can have your textbook, it's open, you can use it all you want, go hunt up all the answers, do whatever you want. I like those tests. And I never in my life, when a teacher said take an open text, test, open book test, I closed my textbook and said, nah. I don't believe I'll use that. Did you? Brother, and that's what we're doing. God has given us the opportunity to take a test with an open book, and we close it up. Ah, I don't need that. And the answers are all in here. You know that? The answers to all of life are here. We don't bother looking. Why don't you go back to Matthew 5, 11, and 12 for a moment. Matthew 5. This is Jesus talking. Verses 11 and 12. Look what he says. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Some translations use it this way. Happy are ye. In other words, you ought to be pleased with the fact that men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He goes on to say, verse 12, Rejoice and be exceeding glad. What? Be glad? When people revile us and persecute us and talk about us, that's what he says. Why should we be exceeding glad? That is as long as we are in the right. And what they're saying about us is, is not right. That we are true. See, when they say all manner of evil against you falsely. In other words, it's false. When they say something against you that's wrong, be glad. If it's right, you better not be so happy about it. Be glad when people talk about you if it's wrong. Why? He says, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. Now, be happy when God puts you to the trial. Be glad when that trial is people coming at you from all sides and talking about you. As long as they are saying something that is false, 
You ought to be glad for it because out of that consequence, you're going to get a reward in heaven. Now let me tell you something. I like rewards. And if somebody's telling me that I'm going to get a reward for something, I am more likely to work harder at it than if I weren't going to get any kind of recognition at all. Are you not the same way? When the teacher told me in school that all of those who made a hundred were going to be given a trip to a zoo somewhere, you can bet that I tried for that hundred because I wanted the reward. The Lord says, when we are put to the trial, our reward is going to be great in heaven for withstanding that trial. So I say to you, whatever it takes, I think we ought to be glad we get it here on earth in order that we can get a reward for it in heaven. So instead of being sulky and saying, oh, somebody hurt my feelings. Well, that was wrong. I didn't do that. Say, oh, goody, there's another reward for me. That's exactly the way it works. The way it works. Why should we expect everything to be easy? Do you know that a life of ease produces a desert? If all we had were sunshine, we would be living in nothing but sand. Dirt, no water, no trees, no grass. And those storms that come across the hill every once in a while and seem to be blowing in all that rain and that snow and so on, those storms bring us blessings next May in June when the grass begins to grow and the flowers bloom. The storms of February are necessary to produce the good things of spring. The storms of life are important to us because it makes us blossom and grow and bloom into something that God can be proud of. Now let's conclude with verse 4. When he says... Let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let me translate that for you in my own words. Understand it's only my own words. Let me translate it this way to get the idea. Do not interfere with God's plan for your life. He plans on you having some trials in order that he can produce some patience in you. When patience matures, when patience becomes complete, when patience is fully developed, then we're going to be complete and we will want nothing. You know what God expects out of you and me? He expects the best that there is. And you know, we're like a piece of ground. When Dillard plants his corn this next spring, he's going to expect the best corn that that ground can grow. 
And he's going to beat that ground to death in hoeing and doing all kinds of things to it to make sure that it produces. And the Lord deals with us the same way. He's going to put it to us in order that we will produce something for his glory. He has invested a lot in us. As a matter of fact, it cost him the life of his own son to invest in you and me. And doesn't he have a right for some return? I think he does. He gave his all, and in return he expects our all. But he's not going to let us go unrewarded. The day will come when we have endured the trials of life, and we'll stand before the judgment seat, and he'll say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful there on earth, and I'm now putting my own translation to it. You did what I asked of you. You withstood the trials that I sent. And now I'm going to give you responsibilities beyond your greatest dreams. You're going to be rulers, leaders. You're going to be in positions of authority and responsibility. You're going to be in positions of honor because you were faithful in a little bit. Now I'm going to reward you in a lot. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.